Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. Edition of our CLC uh, GPS series. And as I was thinking about this message today, I was reminded of a story. And some years ago, I was driving in the Dominican Republic, which if you don't know anything about driving in the Dominican, there is no place like it on earth. I hear India's driving is pretty bad. I've not been there. But any place that I've been, I just was in four different countries, and the driving was normal. It seemed civilized. In the Dominican Republic, there are many three and four lane highways, but you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. Because four lanes instantly become 12. And you'll have cars stacked on top of each other, each vying for space, trying to get to where it is that they need to go. What was really interesting about this experience that I'm talking about this morning is I was the one behind the wheel. My mother-in-law asked me if I could drive, which if you know anything about me, I'd rather always be behind the wheel. And we were coming up to a traffic circle. She says, get over. You need to get over in your right lane. But I got caught up talking. And by the way, who listens to their mother-in-law anyway? I wasn't going to listen to her. Just kidding. It's a joke. But I, I, I got caught up. And she says, you need to get over. And I said, well, how do I do this? There's 12 cars blocking me from the right lane. And, and so around we went in the circle. And I'm doing laps in this traffic circle. And she says, you got to get over. And I said, How? She says, in the Dominican Republic, the right-of-way that you understand in the States is not the way that things work here. It's completely different. For us here, the bigger the vehicle, the more right-of-way you have. We are in an SUV, so just start getting over. They'll move. I said, I'm going to wreck your car. She says, just trust me. So I decided to listen to my mother-in-law. I know it's a big surprise, but I listened to my mother-in-law. and started easing over, and sure enough, the cars started parting way and giving way because our car was much bigger. There were, of course, cars that were bigger than me, and I had to give them way so that they could move forward and so that I could keep going along. It was a really interesting experience, but it sort of brings me to my point today because sometimes in life, it feels like we just have the same issue that keeps confronting us over and over again. Whether it's a thought life you can't get under control, whether it's the same conflict you have in your marriage, whether it's the dreams that never seem to get off the ground, cycles, circles, we get stuck. We get stuck hoping to move forward, but the problem is, is that we're in the spin cycle and sometimes it's difficult to get out when we're not even sure how to get out. Very difficult to make progress when we don't know how to make progress. And sometimes those cycles can be so toxic that people can spend not just a lifetime, but generations that repeat the same cycles over and over again. Part of the reason, of course, is that we are a product of our environment, that each of us have been raised a particular way. And some of the response nature that we have in our heart was formed in us by people that may have been well-meaning, but still gave to us toxic ways in, in which we now view our life that keep us in these spin cycles where it's very difficult to make progress. This is where the people of Israel are. 
Last time I spoke to you, they were just on the cusp of walking into the promised land. And you'll remember that they were getting ready to cross the Jordan. But as I was praying and thinking about this message, I felt sometimes there takes, there requires of us some steps that we need to take before we get to that point. And so if you will, I want to back up our journey into Deuteronomy today and read some scripture. The step before crossing the river. The move that would take them forward. The passage that we're going to read from is really the hinge on which all of the, 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 the book of Deuteronomy finds itself and rests upon. I'll explain more about that in just a minute. But Deuteronomy chapter 2, I'm going to read just a couple of verses of scripture, three verses. Then we turn back and set out toward the wilderness along the route to the Dead Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time, we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this mountain long enough. Now turn north. This pivotal verse really is the whole aim of what Deuteronomy is talking about. Remember last time I shared with you this, that our ability to possess a promise is somewhat contingent on our ability to receive the promise. And I gave to you this analogy about you guys would think me unfaithful if I handed the keys over to my two-year-old daughter and told her that she could drive around my Yukon. That would be unfaithful of me. And yet sometimes we get angry with God because we have promises that the Lord has made to us that we have not yet realized. The Lord has said, you will possess this land. You will have this ministry. You will have a functional, powerful marriage. And yet, in those places of disconnect, sometimes it's hard to believe. But here's what I've come to know is that sometimes it's not that the promise isn't true. Actually, it's always true. The promise of God are always true. Our lack of ability to possess them is usually the problem or the culprit when we don't possess God's promises. Here, the scripture says, you have made your way in this cycle for long enough. You and your ancestors rebelled against me. I said, you could possess the promised land. But for whatever reason, you continued and persisted in a slave mentality. And so you were bound. So the Lord says to them, you have been around this cycle for long enough. Now turn north. Get out of the cycle. And so they set their attention on north. And then the rest of the book of Deuteronomy is all about preparation and teaching. About possessing the promise. You're to have no other gods before you. I've got to be first in your life. If you want to have the healthy marriage, if you want to possess my promise, then you've got to put me first. You've got to obey my commandments. Because if you want to have divine outcomes, you've got to apply divine wisdom and live in a divinely led way. And so the Lord is giving them very clear instruction. And if you will, the rest of the entire book of Deuteronomy, the blessings, the curses, is all preparation to receive the promise. And that's where the Lord has us today. 
That's where he had Israel some years ago. And so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about exiting harmful cycles. You've been around this mountain long enough. What are some of the cycles in your life? Can you identify them? What are the fights you always have at home? What is the mindset or the insecurity that always trips you up? Where does unbelief really grab hold of you so, so much so that it's hard to do what it is that God is asking? These are our intersecting points and what we need to keep in mind because this is what the Lord is trying to teach us about, trying to help us get through. The GPS is pointing north. But here's what I know about us as people is that sometimes we know what God is asking us to do, but the fear of change keeps us in the toxic cycles that cause us to always fail to make the real progress that God intends. It's not that God's promises aren't true, but it's easier to stay in the familiar path where we know and can anticipate the outcome, even if that outcome is toxic to us, than it is to actually apply real change. But the Lord is asking them, it's time to move away from this toxic mindset, these harmful cycles. It's time to go north. And yet for many of us, the Lord is trying to speak to us, but we repeat the same patterns over and over again, and we don't make progress. What are some of the reasons that this is true? First is that we are really good about making excuses about why we do the things that we do. Well, if you didn't speak to me that way, I wouldn't respond to you this way, right? So it's the other person's fault that I've acted in the way that I have. Or if the environmental conditions were different for me, then I would succeed. If I had your privilege and I had your advantage, then I would be way further in life. If my parents hadn't been so terrible or they hadn't taught me this way, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Exiting harmful cycles requires us to stop making excuses and to own our stuff. Because your parents are making decisions about your behavior. You are making decisions about your behavior. You are in charge of your future and what that future looks like. Even if you're a teenager here today, the outcomes of your life are going to be contingent upon choices. But it's excuses that always keep us from moving forward. This is where Israel had been. They have been making lots of excuses. We would possess the promise, but have you seen the people over there? You're going to call me to fight the descendants of Anak? They're like Minister Earl. They're giants. These people are huge. You want me to go in there and fight them? Not today. There is real threats, and that's what they're afraid of. And whenever we're making change in our life, there is the threat that me responding different will mean that I'll get taken advantage of. Scripture says that a kind answer turns away wrath. But if I apply that wisdom, then it'll get the better of me. Recently, I had this experience. And if you know the kind of neighborhood that I grew up in, 
that if you ever said something to somebody, you better own those words. And if you're not careful, they could be fighting words. And not long ago, there was somebody that was insulting me, like, and saying things about me that weren't true. And they were really, really harsh to me. And I was very angry about it. And you know what I thought about doing? I thought about posting online all the different ways that I had helped them. How many times I had come through for them. How many times that I had uh, sacrificed for them. But then I said, I'm just playing their game. I'm only going to tell them the simple words. I love you. And I'm here for you. Should you decide to want to have a conversation, I'm always open. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to defend myself. Because publicly, they were defaming me. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate it. It was very, very hurtful. But God has a way of bringing about justice. And I don't think it was because they were insulting me and others. In fact, not just me, but they were insulting others. That this happened, but probably the whole mindset. Two days later, everything that they owned was stolen from them. Their entire possessions were taken. And I think sometimes when we're in a very dangerous cycle that we open ourselves up for the enemy to wreak, wreak havoc upon our lives when we refuse to live into the nature and the virtue of Christ. And so each of us have to start contending with the choices that we make and stop making excuses. A businessman once told me, he says, Pastor, I just want to tell you something. In my experiences in life, there are only two types of people. I said, that seems awfully reductive. You know, you're just going to say that everybody falls into these two categories. He says, absolutely. And I said, what is that? I, I, I was really interested. He goes, there's two types of people in this world. Those that make excuses and those that make it happen. And he goes, I only want to be around make it happen kind of people. Because the make it happen kind of people will be the very best candidates for any job that I have. The very best people that I can trust to go along with. Because there are always reasons why we shouldn't do what we need to do. There will always be reasons why I don't need to get more involved in church. There will always be reasons why I shouldn't step out and trust. But if, until we start dealing and contending with the excuses, we will find ourselves over and over again facing the same problems. Having the same fights, dealing with the same issues, different outcomes require different behaviors. What does responding in anger ever produce for you in life? Tell me one good thing. Doesn't. And this is what Israel is having to deal with. They're having to understand that. They can't make excuses about why they've been around this mountain. Well, the previous generation before us, they didn't. And so this is the only thing we know. We, we, this, we're just here because we were slaves and things were so terrible. And they scourged our mamas with whips. And our daddies were belittled and emasculated. And making excuse after excuse after excuse. But really what our excuses are is just an unwanted house guest that we allow to remain in our lives 
that we must evict if we're going to get what it is that God has for us. Excuses will destroy you. Speaking of house guests, I was thinking about this, and I remember some years ago that my wife had a distant family friend that called up on the phone and said, hey, I want to come visit. And so we're like, okay. So, well, why do you want to come up? Well, you know, there's a concert in your area. Okay, well, I, yeah, sure, come on up. But then they wouldn't leave. They came into our house. They actually brought one of their children, and they just spent night after night in our home. And finally, we started asking questions like, okay, um, you want something to eat, something to drink? You, you, it's time to go, you know. Don't you have a job? Yeah, it'll be okay. And so excuse after excuse, they kept making about why it was they weren't going to go back home. And finally, I'm just like, okay, you've been in this house long enough. It's time for you to like find some, some, some way down the road. But it was every excuse in the book. The traffic's bad now. The, the weather's too sunny now. I don't like driving in the sun. I don't want to drive at night. I mean, it was every excuse in the book about why they couldn't get on the road. Until finally we said, you know what? We love you. You're always welcome here, but only for one day at a time. Don't come for weeks. We can't have that. We're trying to get on with our lives, and you're disrupting our flow. That's a hard conversation to have. But some of you need to have some hard conversations with yourself or with others. Because until you really start dealing with the issues that you're facing, you're never going to possess what God has for you. I challenged every single one of you to make resolutions some weeks ago. But your ability to possess those resolutions or the outcomes of those resolutions is contingent upon you evicting the excuses from your life. Stop saying, I am where I am because of this or that. That kind of thinking is not helpful. And stop thinking that this message is for someone else today and that someone else needs to hear it. That is true. But it's you that needs to hear it. Because each and every one of us are always making excuses about why it is we can't do what it is that we need to do. We look like grasshoppers compared to these big giants. We can't possess this promise. You mean that we're going to have to fight battle after battle after battle? But you're still fighting and you're wandering and you're having to live in obscurity because you will not take those steps forward. You have been around this mountain long enough. Turn north. Get out of the cycle that you are in. The real ask here though of the Israelites is really important and something we can't miss. What God was really asking the Israelites to do was not to fight. They would fight. He wasn't asking the Israelites to cross rivers. They'd cross one on dry ground as we learn. What he's really asking the Israelites to do is to trust him. Do you really trust my way? When I'm trying to lead you to more healthy life, when I'm trying to lead you towards the promises that I have for your life, that's the real ask. Will you trust me? 
Will you believe that I can help you? Will you know that I desire to help you? Says a fella some years ago, and he starts criticizing one of my best friends. And he said to him, he goes, you're only in the position that you are because you come from a family of privilege. He was making an assumption based on no data because he assumed that the reason why my friend is a medical doctor and one of the most renowned medical doctors in his city was because somebody had to give him a hand to help him. Not realizing that this doctor came from poverty. Not realizing that he had to struggle and scrounge. But what this doctor did is he made a decision in his early 20s as I sat with him and prayed with him to receive Christ, that he was going to put God first. And that was the difference maker. That was the transformational piece. But this other person couldn't even imagine that he could be successful without help getting there. He did have help, but not the help that he assumed. And often that's what we think. We believe that others are where they are because they had some help getting there. And it's true that they have. But that same help, actually the best help, is always available to us from God, who's always there to give it to us. The second thing that the Israelites had to do to get out of the cycle that they were in is they had to break some harmful mindsets and habits. They have a habit. It's our response. What is your response to conflict? How do you respond? Are you somebody that always, like, cowers back and says, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just not going to have that conversation. Are you somebody that gets angry and lashes out? Are you somebody that redirects your attention to something else to avoid it? That's a picture of your mindset to deal with the things that God is wanting you to deal. The reason why we feel conflict is because God is trying to do something through it. That conflict for us, for you, is something that can produce some of the very best things in our lives. But it's what we most resist. Conflict shows us that something is wrong and needs to be made right. And Israel is going to have to break some harmful mindsets. But that means they're going to have to confront the very fears that are keeping them from moving forward and possessing the great things that God has for their lives. The Israelites were in this position because of real family baggage. Generational poverty is a thing. Generational abuse is a thing. Generational sickness is a thing. That's why doctors do medical histories on us when we show up at the doctor's office. These are things. But each and every one of us are to be breakers of the cycle. Just because you've got family history of mental illness doesn't mean that you have to have mental illness. Why can't you be the very first person to overcome it? Just because your family has struggled with poverty for generations, why can't you be the first one to break it? Here's what I want to tell you. It's God's intent that you do. 
God intends and means for you and for me to break out of those toxic mindsets, but somebody's got to take the bold step towards it and actually do it. Israel is dealing with a lot of family dysfunction. They had to be fed daily because they didn't know how to work their own ground. And they learned a certain kind of helplessness. Like we often see when we're trying to train animals. Particularly this is true when they're training elephants. What they do to train an elephant how to stay still or where it's at is when the, the elephant is really young. They take a stake and they drive into the ground and they wrap the elephant's leg around this rope that's attached to a stake and the elephant's just a baby. At first he tries to tug and pull and he can't move. So eventually he stops trying. What's really interesting, because of memory, is when the elephant is old and grown and could easily yank that, sh that stake out of the ground with just a move of its leg, it's the memory that holds it captive. Israel's having to deal with the dysfunction of memories, having to contend with the pain of their past. And memory can serve us, but memory can also cripple us and if we're not careful, harmful mindsets and bad patterns that are rooted in memory will continue to cripple us as we're trying to make progress and actually make steps forward. I was having a conversation with someone that was sitting near us on the cruise ship. And they became very vulnerable and started sharing some things. And here I am, a pastor on a boat and having a conversation with someone on this boat. You don't take off your pastor hat just because you're on a boat. And they start sharing, you know, I'd really like to enjoy this trip, but my husband on, in his first marriage, he went on a cruise with his wife on the honeymoon. And I can't help but think that every experience that I have is something that he's already experienced with someone else. She shared their story, and she says, you know, I'm a believer, I trust God, but, you know, this is very painful for me, this experience is too much. It's memory. And here she was on this beautiful cruise ship, being fed some of the most exquisite foods from all over the world, seeing things, and her world is wrecked because of memories, because of memories. So I shared with her, I said, well, why don't you create some new memories? I've never been on a cruise before. And this is my first memory with you on a cruise is having this conversation right here. A memory can be harmful for us, but if we learn to remember in a different way and we start seeing the hand of grace that's been with us the whole time, we can have a different conversation about our present situation. Because as Israel's remembering, they remember their failures and they can stay stuck in that or they can remember all the ways that even in spite of their failures that God kept feeding them with manna and quail and bringing water from a rock. And if God did that then, then he'll bring me into the promise tomorrow. 
This is the power of what breaking harmful cycles looks like. It tells us to remember, but to remember in a different way. To remember in such a way that we can track the movement of God throughout our lives, even in our points of failure. God never stopped feeding them just because they didn't do it right. God didn't stop caring for you just because you screamed and cussed out your kids. God didn't stop loving you just because you didn't get involved in his work the way you know you were supposed to. God's mercy and love has been providing for you all along and he's opened doors for you even when maybe we think he shouldn't have. Because that's the grace of God. And so Israel has to choose the way it remembers its past if they're going to move forward. And you're going to have to choose how it is that you will remember yours if you are going to make some progress in moving forward. There are toxic ways that we remember that keep us crippled and broken. And there are wonderful ways that we, if we will look at our past, that we'll see the handiwork of God and his mercy that will give us the strength to trust him to move into the promises of God. The third thing that they had to do to possess the promises, they had to learn really how to trust the GPS. They've been in a cycle, and sometimes when we're in cycles, we need to learn to trust God's GPS, which is his word, that speaks life to us. We've got to trust it. As I'm on this boat, there was this moment, it was, I don't know, like three in the morning, and I was out on the, the balcony, and I was praying for many of you, and I was thinking through some of what I would share with you this week, and just praying over lots of the things that you guys are going through, and as I'm there, I suddenly am overwhelmed, and this daunting fear just came over me as I'm looking into this black, vast, dark ocean, and I'm standing there all alone on this deck. And I thought to myself, if I were to fall in, no one would see me. And like a whisper in my spirit, the Lord says, I always see you. And then I got to thinking about this boat. Like how does it get to where it's going? How does it navigate these waters where there isn't a landmarker or there's not some sort of clear navigational process from an outward perspective at least. And it's GPS coordinates that tells the boat where it is all the time. God knows exactly where you're at and he knows precisely how it is that he plans to get you towards the great promises that he has for you in 2020. He has a plan for you. He has purpose for you. As Jeremiah says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And just because your world may seem black and hopeless and that no one sees, God sees exactly where you are. 
Israel is going to have to learn to trust in God's design and plan. And for us, that is always true because there will be moments where we're not sure where to go or how to get out of the jam that we're in. But it's always the scripture that is our best guide that tells us what God's plan and his best for our life is. If you haven't started a reading plan for 2020, start now. And let God's word seep into your soul because it will be the grace and strength to carry you through in 2020. The remedy for everything in life is in it. The path to a successful marriage is in the word. It shows us how we're to love. The path to uh, success in business is in the word. He tells us what things that we ought to invest in as far as principles and character of those investments. He will show us how it is that we are to live our lives in such a way that always has eternity in mind. What promises has God made you? What five-year promises are still spinning in your head and you heard somebody whisper in your heart or you felt the Spirit of the Lord whisper that you haven't realized? What are those, for some of you that have been around a little bit longer, those 30-year promises? you still haven't realized and maybe today you've even given up on them thinking that there's no hope as if God's never going to come through for Israel in this text it's a 40 year promise a generation's going to die off because of unbelief they have no ability to possess the promise because they are stuck in a mindset they're stuck making excuses but now I'm going to bring up the first generation of people that are going to turn north and some of you need to turn north, turn north away from those disempowered thoughts and mindsets that keep you bound. Turn north away from the darkness that shrouds the hope of your future. Turn north away from the insecurity and the despairing way in which you view yourself and the self-deprecation that keeps you from really making progress. Turn north away from those negative ways in which you speak over your life. Turn north away from the, 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 the broken past that your family has walked through and in. Turn north towards the promise of God. Returning north means that we've got to be willing to change. To stop doing things the way we've always done them. They're not serving you. They're hurting you. And turn north. Possessing the promise starts with this first step. Turning north. And God may ask you to do something unusual. He might ask you to take very bold steps towards his promises. He might ask you to do some things that are uncomfortable for you to do or feel as if they're giving up because they are giving up control of your life so that God can have control. Giving up trust in the destructive way in which you have been living and trusting in God's way to lead you forward. I'll invite the worship team to come back up and join me on the platform today. I want to share with you one of the strangest things the Lord asked me to do when I was 
cutting my teeth in ministry. There weren't pulpits that were open to me all over the, the world, like have been made avail, available to me. Now that I've had a lot of experience and people have appreciated my ministry, but there was a time where no one did. No one knew where I was. There was nobody from Tampa, Florida, and the Lord put on my heart to start a ministry to those that no one was reaching. It was in Ybor City, Florida, Tampa, Florida. It's a section of Tampa, the oldest section. And this part of the city was full of bars and clubs. And on Fridays and Saturday nights, they would shut down the street. And tens of thousands of young adults and adults, older teenagers would walk the streets in revelry and party and go in and out of bars. And then drunken stupor move from place to place. And I just asked myself a question one day, which was sort of the, the push that drew me there was, if Jesus Christ were here, where would he do ministry? And I felt this call to Ybor City, this part of Tampa, that had been riddled with this kind of sin that I've just described. And I said to myself, there's no one here that's going to listen to me. Why am I going to go out there and try to even preach? No one knows who I am. What would I, where would I even begin on talking with them? What would I even say? And the Lord told me to turn north. He gave me the most unusual command that even today in this room, you're probably going to be like, what? Because that's sometimes how God speaks in ways that would be unusual for us, but are not for him. He says, Servant of the Lord. He didn't say it like that. It's just me animating this for you this morning. He said, I want you to do something. I said, okay, I'll do whatever you want, God. This is all true from here forward. I want you to build. Okay, I can build. And construct. I can construct a giant flag. What? You want me to make a giant flag? He said, yep, that's what I want you to do. The biggest flag that you can make, I want you to make this giant flag, and I want you to ride on one side of it, follow me to Jesus. I want you to spray paint as big as you can, follow me to Jesus on one side, and on the other side, I want you to put the words of my scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's okay. So I, didn't, I figured I'd just go get the biggest pole that I could find, this giant dowel rod of some sort, some like 12, 14 feet. And then I took a gigantic king-size sheet, a blanket. And I did what the Lord told me. Now he says, I want you to go out into the street and I want you to carry this flag did I mention there was a cross on it? I said, Lord, I'm going to look like an idiot. Seems like the worst advice you've ever given to any preacher. He says, do you trust me? I said, I'll trust you. 
He goes, I want you to carry this flag. I said, because it'll be a visible representation that even in the darkest part of the city, that the light of Christ has come. So I did it. And the Lord says, now I want you to carry it down from one side of 7th Avenue to another. And myself and one of the other men, we would take turns and we would walk the mile and a half one way. And then a mile and about a mile back to where we would stop and we would share the gospel. Strangely, it didn't seem very weird once we got out there because people had all kinds of things going out there. There were other people doing different kinds of events and we were just considered one other part of it, but there was something powerful about our message carried on this flag is that there was anointing on it. We'd walk down the street and that flag would start conversations. I'll never forget, we passed by one of those bars on one of those first weeks we carried it. And literally a man comes running out of the bar where he was sitting. As he watched us in processional going to the place where we would share the word. And he runs and he's chasing us down, doesn't say anything, but he falls to his knees in the middle of the street. And God meets him right there. The Lord was just simply asking me to turn north and just trust his process. It didn't make sense to me. But God knew exactly how to reach that man and every other person that we would have conversation with and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands that we would reach over those years. And there's so many that are saved that we lost count. So many healed. So many transformed. Because the Lord said, do you trust me? Make a flag. For the Israelites, it was an ark. Build this ark, and it'll be a visible representation that I'm with you all the time. Inside of it, it'll be the ways that I've met you in the past. There's going to be the Ten Commandments, the, the uh, golden cup of manna, Aaron's staff that buds. All visible reminders that God was with them. I don't know what the Lord's asking you to do today, but I know with all my heart, he's speaking to you. He's calling you to something. He's calling you to break cycles. He's calling you to come out of darkness. He's calling you to move forward and to trust his GPS. It's time, church, as individuals that we take this step forward, but it's also time as a corporate community to take the next step north. We've been around this cycle long enough. Have we come to realize yet that this building cannot house all that God wants to do through it? We need to take the next step. We need to move north. In your marriage, it's time to take the step north. In your finances, it's time to take the step north. Getting out of debt will mean some sacrifices. It's a means, some change. Move north. The Lord means to give you Great things in 2020. But it'll be contingent on your ability to take that next step. To move north. Heavenly Father, right now I just come before you. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.